All right, we are, uh, this is October 27th. We're looking at Lesson 9 of uh, Marek Yahoo, Matthew, um, Part 1. We'll begin Part 2 in two weeks. Uh, anybody that needs a book, I need you to write on a sheet that I'm going to send around. Put your name, uh, phone number, uh, how many books you want. Anybody that needs a book for Part 2, if you'd like a book, I'd be glad to bring a book. Not a problem at all. Just need to know ahead of time how many books to bring. And that will be in two weeks we would begin Lesson an introduction to part two, which is actually a summation of what we've done in part one. Okay? Let's, uh, let's open in prayer. Our Father, our King, we do thank you for this day. We thank you for the rains that come. That uh, We understand, Father, that your uh, blessings upon us are sometimes expressed in physical ways. And we know that this is the truth of Scripture. That you want us to know that you are involved in our lives. And we appreciate it. We thank you. Father, we also thank you that you are the God that heals. And we ask that you might bring healing to those who trust in your name. And who need healing spiritually, physically. And we thank you that you have not left us or abandoned us in the physical realm. But that you have become like us. And you have redeemed us because you can do this. Open our eyes as we study your word, we pray in Yeshua's name. Amen. This is from the Shemona Esra, the Amidah, the standing prayer. Heal us, Lord, then we will be healed. Save us, then we will be saved. For you are our praise. Bring complete recovery for all our ailments. For you are God, King, the faithful and compassionate healer. Blessed are you, Lord, who heals the sick of his people, Israel. Amen. And that's what we're looking at. We're finishing up this uh, chapter 8 and 9, deal with miracles, healing. Uh, And we're looking at healing, forgiving, raising, teaching, preaching. The scripture I had us, and this is one of our lesson scriptures as well. Your throne, O God, is forever and a scepter, Shebet, of righteousness, Sadak. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter, Shebet, of your kingdom. You love righteousness, and hate wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you. Notice the change in, in focus. First, first person, uh, second person. Uh, has anointed you. Mashach. We, we see that as we, we get the word Messiah from that. Mashiach. Mashach. Anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. All your garments are scented with myrrh and aloes and cassia. Which reminds me of something. Does that remind anybody of anything at all? The three gifts that, uh, well, it does kind of remind me of the three gifts as well. But what is it else does it remind you of? The burial. That burial, yes, yes. Uh, it, all, it reminds me of, of uh, the scenting of, uh, that was not permitted for the average person. The Levites, actually the priests only. Uh, out of the ivory palaces by which you have made glad. Isaiah uh, 45, 6 or 8. We've been looking at, there's 10 miracles in chapters 8 and 9. And we wanted to see this connection. We've been looking at this connection between Tameh, fragmented, or it's translated usually unclean, and Yeshua's purposeful healing. Uh, you know, you could say, well, you know, we pray, and when we're healed, we say, he heard my prayer. Right? I mean, we do. And, and uh, the world will look at it and go, prove it. I mean, you just got well, right? Well, you know, is there something that you can put your finger on to prove it? No, you know in your heart he healed me. But you can't prove it. What we're seeing here are miraculous healings where everybody can say they were sick, he said something, he touched someone, they were well. Like that, we know that he did it, right? That's a purposeful healing. You may able, you may feel like you have been purposefully healed, but you cannot prove it in the way that chapters 8 and 9 are giving this, this, this indication of healing. Um, 
physically. He absolutely heals us physically. Absolutely heals us physically. He wants to heal us physically. Does he always heal us physically? No. Why? I can't tell you why. But one thing we do know is that it may or may not have something to do with sin. We're going to look at that this week. Uh, we saw also that we, we just saw this brief exercise and, and, uh, of Yeshua getting in a boat and going to the Gentile side and a lot of people don't know this but that's the Gentile side the Decapolis was the Roman ten cities the Gentile side of the Sea of Galilee and the shore uh, this is, this is uh, Syrian territory Roman Syrian territory where, where Jewish people just didn't go at all why did he go there? He goes, he gets on the shore, meets this uh, demoniac, and is also uh, the same the same account shows, actually there were two, uh, in I think it's Luke, and then uh, casts out the demon, and demons, many, and gets back in a boat, and is like, what was that all about? Is he, is he bringing the gospel to Gentiles? And as we discussed yesterday, it doesn't look like it at all. And he doesn't let this man come with him. What's going on? And you know, about all we could probably come up with is that he's telling the powers of darkness he's here, and he's and he's and he's and he's going to take them on. But he hasn't done it yet, and Gentiles are not Gentiles are not included yet. We're going to see later on in the Book of Matthew some little disturbing things that he says. I'm sorry, I'm a dog. I'm a Gentile. I'm a dog. You know, that's not a not a pleasant metaphor. You know. <laughs> Um, so we're gonna we're, we we need to understand how is it that Yeshua deals with Gentiles and how is it that his disciples uh, after his ascension uh, deals with Gentiles and what it's not as automatic as everybody thinks and that's what we're making the point it's not as automatic as everybody thinks in fact I say it's not automatic at all it's spiritual or it ain't happening at all that's it it's got to be spiritual there's no way that Gentiles can be added into the family of God there's no way anybody can be added to the family of God except by a miraculous work. Okay, let's look at this. Uh, the paralytic, uh, Matthew chapter nine, verse one. So he, speaking of Yeshua, got into a boat, crossed over, came to his own city. Then behold, what's his own city? People don't think about this at all. I suppose. What's his own city? Capernaum. Yeah, Capernaum. Yeah, Capernaum is a village of comfort. That's his own city, Capernaum. It's not Nazareth. No, no, no. Nazareth is some place he left them and they never went back. I mean, it was like, uh, that's it. See ya. He, yeah, Capernaum. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. What, what's up with that? Went to his own city and behold, they brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. When Yeshua saw their faith, their faith. That's right. When Yeshua saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven you. Uh, You know, this seems very easy for us to understand the importance of this. I I, I don't think it's easy at all. In fact, I... If I were this paralytic, I'd be saying, and your point is? So? (laughs) I'm so glad that my sins are forgiven me. And how would I know anyway? And what difference does it make? What difference does it make? And that's not really what I came for. I that's thought, right. I would have thought, who are you? Well, that's exactly what the people around him said. Listen, it says, and, and, and at once some of the scribes said within themselves, this man blasphemes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. If we do not understand this correctly, it is in fact blasphemy. 
you know, we do we we do not have the right to forgive sin. We can forgive sin against us, but we can't forgive sin. But Yeshua, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Arise and walk? It's, it's funny to me, because the, we, we, we sometimes think that the words are what's important. And what Yeshua is actually making this, this really ironic statement. Uh, look, I could say it doesn't mean it happened. Which is easier? The one that has the, no evidence? How do you know your sins are forgiven? Or the one that actually has evidence? Which is easier? Not which is actually better to say. Sins are forgiven would be better than having your, you know, be healed, right? No, he's saying which is easier to say. See, he's making this correlation. He's making this correlation that what's, you know, what we all know is talking's easy. It's walking that's hard. Right? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or say, arise and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man, key phrase, all the way through this book, Matthew uses this phrase again and again and again. This is his key phrase. The Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. Power on earth to forgive sins. It's interesting to me. Why do you need you to say the power to forgive sins? There's power on earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the paralytic, Arise, take up your bread, your bed, and go to your house. And he arose and departed out of his house. Now when the multitude saw it, they marveled and glorified God, who had given such power to men. The, the, their response is good. I love that. You know, there's a blessing for everything. Remember uh, from Fiddler on the Roof, is there a blessing for the czar? Uh, there's a blessing for everything. There's a blessing for seeing a miracle. And this is what they did. They blessed God for seeing a miracle. Do you know the blessing for seeing a miracle? It's in my Siddur. Uh, it's, there's a blessing for seeing a miracle. In other words, what do you do? You get praise to God. They didn't go, you, Yeshua, what a great hero you are. Well, they may have, but they, that's not what's recorded. They, we want to know. They give, they, give, they give glory to God. As Yeshua passed, actually, that's, that's as far as we need to go for now. Look at, uh, in chapter 9, we see he healed and forgives sin. And the, uh, the point of the miracle is not the healing. Uh, you know, uh, people do get healed. You know, it's pretty obvious that he played a role in it when he says, arise, get up and walk. But if that's where we stop... He missed the point. He wanted them to know he could forgive sin. That's why he healed them. That's pretty cool. He can forgive sin. Think about it for a moment. I want you to think about this. What is, what is the basis for any forgiveness? I'm not talking about mere atonement. And when I say mere atonement, that is what it is. Atonement means to cover. Kapur is to cover. Okay? Yom Kippur. It's to cover. You know, the first usage of the word is actually, and Noah covered the ark with pitch. So no water could get in. That's the first usage of the word in Scripture. So to cover, to cover sin, that's a good thing. That's, don't understand, that's a great thing. But that's not the same thing as take sin away, is it? That's not at all the same thing. And that's exactly the point of the book of Hebrews. And you did, when you looked up in Hebrews, you saw that in Hebrews, that's exactly his point. It's one thing to say, you know, I have, my sins are covered because they might be possibly uncovered later, right? It's another thing to be t- say it's taken away. And what with the blood of bulls and goats can never take away sin. But you know something? The blood of bulls and goats can cover sin. If it, if it cannot, then our... God has told us something that isn't true. That's impossible. Now, most people would explain it as, well, that's the way it used to work. Now it works something different. Uh-huh. I'm going to tell you something. When it says that, he, that if you sprinkle this blood on this 
altar, and the altar will be atoned for, covered. God was not giving you a trick. It wasn't a bait and switch. It doesn't really work, but you won't know it till later. When he says that if you bring a, uh, a lamb and you are atoned for, he wasn't saying, well, that's the way it works now, but later on it won't work that way. Period. That's the way it works. Period. That's the way it works. Atone for. Sins covered does not mean sins forgiven. And this is one of the big problems that people get when they read the scriptures is they do this automatic correlation. Yeshua's sacrifice atones, covers. The sacrifices of the book of Leviticus atone, they cover. So one just points to the other. There, there really is no real correlation. What it was was is to teach us an object lesson. It didn't really work. The sin, the sacrifices of the of the of Leviticus didn't really work. That's what people would say. And then God is not telling the truth. They really did work, but what did they work for? And this is the point that He makes in Hebrews chapters eight, nine, and ten. We haven't gone into Hebrews, by the way. You did a little small study in Hebrews, but let me tell you something. This is a huge issue in the book of Hebrews. What does it do? The blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a red heifer, and it says in the present tense, cleanse purify the flesh. In other words, they do work, but they only work temporarily. Their purpose is to go into the presence of God, into the temple, into the tabernacle. And they did work. When you left, guess what? You got dirty again. So the next time you went back in, you had to do it again. Why? Because you didn't want to die when you were in there. That's all that it was about. It was about not dying when you're in the presence of God. Yes, that is an object lesson. Absolutely. We've learned the holiness of God by studying those passages. We learn that God cannot abide sin in his presence. That our sin must be covered. But what we also read from the book of Hebrews is that he not only atones, but he takes away sin. That the blood of Yeshua miraculously takes sin away. Not just covers it. Takes it away. The word atoning, the word atone and the word forgive are not the same word. And we need to keep the two separate in our minds. He covers our sin. Praise God, he covers our sin. But guess what? He also takes our sin away. That means it is removed from us. Not only are we not an offense now, we're never an offense I mean, it's a remarkable thought to think that you can have sins taken away. That's why these men, these scribes, they go, take sins away? Forgive them? Who do you think you are? Now, God could forgive. An interesting question to me also is, where was the sacrifice involved? Without the shedding of the blood, there is no remission of sin. There is no taking away of sins. What? Where's the blood involved here? He just removed somebody's sins. Yes, he removed it. He forgave sin. He just removed their sins. Where was the sacrifice? In the future. In the future? How does that work? That doesn't seem quite fair. Now, now I have to tell you that actually Judaism has a better explanation for this. I'm not saying I agree with it. They have a better explanation for this than, than, than Christianity does. Christianity has to... It's in the future somehow, right? Judaism says, well, of course, you can have sins forgiven for a lot of different reasons. I mean, tons of different reasons. Prayer forgives sins. In fact, we don't need blood anymore. Reformed Judaism, of course, is, is most famous for this. We don't need blood sacrifice. I mean, temple, whew, we don't want that. Oh, that's awful. <laughs> we don't have anything to do with that. Right? Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's really remarkable to me that everybody has to come up with an explanation. And I'm going to tell you, honestly, I don't have the explanation. 
All I know is what God says is true. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. It was in the first sin of Jesus. He absolutely shed his blood. And did he have a right to claim that this person, that he would shed his blood for him? Absolutely. If he was, he was the perfect lamb. That's right. Just so that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. That's right. So, obviously, he has the power without the shedding of blood. This is a claim. This is a claim that he is not just Son of Man, but Son of God. It is. There's no other explanation. Well, you know, it would bring, bring, brings up a great point. You know, I hear a lot of people say this, uh, or I've heard it in the past, you may have too, it's like, well, he could have chosen anyway. He just decided to do it that way. Actually, I don't agree. I think he had to do it that way. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, because, he's, because he is who he is, he could forgive sin. But because he has done what he's done, and he hadn't done it all yet, but he has certainly come to do it, he had the right to forgive sin. And as Roseanne talks, you know, I mean, I, I have to agree. That's, that's the only explanation here, but I think there is something here that is not necessarily as evident as we may think it is. It's very difficult. But the scribes recognize that it's blasphemy. That's right. And they are not wrong to recognize it as blasphemy. Unless he is who he is. That's right. Understand, understand that some people say things at various times uh, that they have no right to say and it just goes right past us. You know? And give them credit. They know that, wait a minute, you forgive sin? Let's move on. Um, but you said that the blood covers the plus that takes away. Yes, and we are never, the blood of Yeshua. Right, and we are never. And I can't think get the last word. We are never. I don't know what did I say. We have to maybe listen to the recording. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Galatians 3, 8 and John 8 we don't have time to go there right now but all the righteous of the ages all the righteous of the ages all the righteous of the ages Hebrews chapter 11 starts with Abel righteous Abel righteous Abel righteous Abel all the righteous of the ages have had their sins not only covered but taken away in the same way and it is only by, the, by faith and by the blood of the eternal lamb period period uh, Hebrews uh, Galatians 3 well let's go there okay Galatians 3.8 That's okay, let's read it because we need to say it. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. And actually John 8 was... Uh, also dealt with that. John 8, chapter 8, verse 56. John 8, 56. And it says, uh, Your father Abraham rejoiced, this is Yeshua speaking, to see my day. And he, he saw it and was glad. Then Jews said to him, You are not yet fifty years old and have seen Abraham. And he said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And they took stones took up stones to throw at him. <laughs> it's a Middle East thing. You just throw rocks, I guess. Um, let's go to the sick. Uh, the sick and, and, and not sacrifice. It's interesting. In chapter 9, verse 9, Yeshua uh, make quotes, or in this passage he quotes, uh, chapter 9, verse 9 says, As Yeshua passed on from there, he saw a man named Matayahu, Matthew, sitting in the tax office. We learn later on in, in the book of Luke, I believe it is, that his name is also Levi. He's a Levite. So he's not only a Levite, he's a, he's a fallen Levite. Very important to understand. He's a tax collector. He works. He's not a good guy. Do you understand? Matthew is not a good guy. Not just that, oh, he's an enemy of the people and he helps the Romans out. No, it's worse than that. I promise. It's much worse than that. 
He is a tax collector. He's a levy. He's a Levite. He's, not only should he not be involved in tax collecting, you know, he was he was not doing what he was created to do. You know, he, he has a profession already. It's called be a Levite. That's why that's why one of the tithes from the Torah is to give to Levites because that's their profession to be a Levite. So that's why they weren't given land. They were scattered throughout the throughout all the tribes. The Levites were not supposed to be tax collectors. (laughs) So, he's not a good guy. Listen to this, though. And he, speaking of Yeshua, said to him, follow me. So he rose and followed him. I love that. Now, it happened as Yeshua sat at the table in the house, that behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? What's wrong with eating with bad people? You might catch it. You might catch it. That's right. Well, you you see, we isn't that great? We might catch their badness, but also, if you think about it in very, very Torah terms, what are we going to catch? Their tamay. They might have done or been with someone. For instance, if they were someone with de- who is dead, that's contagious. We talk about contagious being that you could you could catch that fragmentation, that separation, so that you would not be free to go to the temple without first dealing with that. And in some cases, for instance, if you were in contact with someone who's dead, it would be a week, seven days, right? And ashes of a red heifer, which makes us all tamay because there is no ashes of a red heifer today. There are red they are red heifers. That's right. They're trying. Everybody's, why is everybody trying? Obviously, it's not Reformed Jews that are doing this. <laughs> uh, but yeah, they're trying because they want to build a temple. And you can't build a temple without, without the ashes of a red heifer. Anyway, uh, but when Yeshua heard that, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Okay, tell me, who's the well and who's the sick? And already, just what he said. Who's the well and who's the sick? Yeshua's well. But he says, those who, those who are well have no need of a physician. Who's the physician? He's the physician. He's giving you a little, little parable here, right? A parable is just to make a point so you have a, a, a real world example to relate to something that's maybe, maybe a little bit more abstract. Okay, that's what parables are for. It's like a sermon illustration. That's all it is. So it's a way to think, well, that's a nice way to remember that. Parables are good in that way. It's not some mystic teaching. Okay? Uh, those who are well have no need of a physician. He's a physician. Who's the wealthy people? The Pharisees. The Pharisees here are the well people. Ah, wait a minute. That's exactly right. But he's just, he's just drawing a correlation to start with. There's well people, there's sick people. Where do you expect a physician to go? To be with the well people or the sick people? Well, who are the sick people? The sinners. And, the, and the, That's right. So he's just saying, listen, where would you expect a doctor to be with sick people? Right? That's all he's saying now. But let's move on because he has something else to say. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, but I did not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. Wow. Well, first of all, I read that right away and I go, well, that doesn't fit real neatly in New Testament theology. It doesn't. And actually, it's a quote. Let's go to Hosea chapter 5. Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea. All written about the same time. Uh, Hosea chapter 5, verse 
13. When Ephraim saw his sickness and Judah saw his wound, then Ephraim went to Assyria and sent to King Yarab, yet he cannot cure you. Who's Ephraim and who's Judah? These are the north and the south kingdom. This is after the division of the kingdom. They're no longer under David or Solomon as one kingdom, but two kingdoms. The kingdom of Judah in the south and the kingdom of Ephraim in the north. When Ephraim saw his sickness and Judah saw his wound, then Ephraim went to Assyria. Is that true? Yes. Yeah. They said, you know, we need protection. Let's go to Assyria. Assyria can protect us. Oops, didn't work out that way. Yet he cannot cure you nor heal you of your wound, for I will be like a lion to Ephraim and like a young lion to the house of Judah. Anybody else know some other reference to uh, if Ephraim is also called Israel, Israel, and uh, Judah is called Judah? Jeremiah chapter 31, the promise of the new covenant is what? It's to, I promise to, to whom? Ephraim and Judah. Okay? In other words, Israel. I, even I, will tear them and go away. I will take them away. And no one shall rescue. I will return again to my place till they acknowledge their offense. Until they, Yeshua, Yeshua has made a phrase, didn't he? He said something similar in Matthew chapter 23. Until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, it quotes as well. See, that's exactly the phrase right. that I yeah. Yeah. I will go away till you acknowledge your offense. I love that. Then they will seek my face. In their, tent, in their affliction, they will earnestly seek me. Notice what's happening. Here's some people. Now he's speaking in a metaphor. He's speaking, he's using the idea of someone being sick and needing healing as a picture of a, of a nation that is not following God, sick. And they need healing. Where do they go? Where do they go if they need protection? Healing in this case, or in this discussion. So they went to Egypt. The south went to Egypt. And the north went to Assyria. They sought protection from, from men. They sought protection. They, they sought aid and healing in this picture the healing from men as opposed to from God who said he would heal them protect them and and in fact this is an offense is it not because God says I will return to my place till they acknowledge their offense then they will seek my face in their affliction affliction their sickness they will earnestly seek me do they think they're sick no in this passage they don't think they're sick at all they have, no, they, they have no idea that something's wrong, that they've offended the Almighty God. They have no idea. Verse, chapter 6, verse 1. Come, now speaking in, in, as, as if the writer, Hosea, is speaking for Israel. Come, let us return to the Lord, for He has torn, but He will heal us. Oh, now we know we need healing. First of all, we are sick and we need healing, and there's only one place for it. He has stricken, but He will bind us up. In other words, he did it, but he will fix it. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up, that we may live in his sight. Let us know, let us pursue the knowledge of the Lord. His going forth is established as the morning. He will come to us like the rain, like the latter and former rains to the earth. Latter and former rains, anybody know those, what that is, the reference to? The time of Passover and the time of Sukkot. The latter and the former rains. Actually, the, the former rains is after Sukkot. Modern, modern calendar, it's, it's December 4th. Unless you're in the land of Israel, then it's the end of, uh, the end of Sukkot, December 4th. Uh, the latter and the early rains. Um, 
it's when the rains technically begin to fall and like like today although we, I mean it must be in the land of Israel started falling this week uh, Ephraim and Judah that is Israel is sick and doesn't know it they depend on others instead of God God wakes for their acknowledgement of their condition and there is healing for them but it's after they acknowledge that they're, they're, they're sick they're in need of God Here's the, here's the answer. He says, understand this. He, 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 Yeshua uses this passage. Remember what we talked about remez. What remez is, it's like a little phrase and you're supposed to know the whole scripture passage that goes with it. And what he does is he says, figure this out. Here's a little riddle for you. What does it mean? He says, I desire mercy. And that's what Actually, we haven't gotten to that part yet. In, that, in, in Hosea. Uh, oh, Ephraim, what shall I do? This is verse 4. Chapter 6, verse 4 of Hosea. Oh, Ephraim, what shall I do to you? Oh, Judah, what shall I do do to you for your faithfulness is like a morning cloud and like the early dew it goes away therefore I have hewn them from the, by, by the prophets I have slain them by the words of my mouth and your judgments are like our light that goes forth for I desire mercy and not sacrifice in the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings this is the problem for most people because what they do is they read this verse they read these verses and take them completely out of context and say, see, God never really wanted sacrifices. I'm sorry, God commanded sacrifices. If Israel had not been obedient to God's command of sacrifices, they never would have been redeemed from Egypt. There would have been, never been a Passover. There would be no salvation if Israel had been disobedient to God's command to build a tabernacle. At all. No, I desire mercy and not sacrifices is not some theological you know, system where God really didn't want sacrifices. He just wanted an analogy that he could draw from so that he could explain to us how it is that Yeshua's sacrifice redeems us. My translation says, um, I delight in loyalty rather than sacrifice and in the knowledge of God. I think that his priority is it's good. You like that, I like that. What is that? The New American Standard. Really? That's very good. That's I excellent. The American Standard in using the sign for it says, uh, I desire mercy more than sacrifice. I like that too. The idea that it's exp- that, that it's that mercy. What is mercy in Hebrew? Anybody, Hebrew speakers here, what's mercy? Chesed. Chesed. Yeah. Why, why does he desire chesed? Well, that's what he is. He is chesed. Right? Instead of korban. You know, an offering. I don't like the word sacrifices myself because it really is not a good translation. Sacrifices are what pagans offer. It's korban. It's an offering. It's an offering. Uh, the fact that blood was shed... Blood was necessary because that's proof that it was dead. <laughs> it is. That's, that's, what, that's what the blood is because it's, the life is in the blood. There's no life in it. It's dead. That's it. Uh, blood, obviously, in pagans, uh, they want to take it while it's still alive. It's true. No proof of deadness. It's just because it's blood. Ooh, neck cool? It's red. You know, sick. Our God has not instituted a religion that has that that is is perverted in such a way. He in fact has done the opposite. Sin is an exchange of a life for a life. That's the point, right? A life for a life. And what we recognize here is that this is not an exchange of a system of sacrifices. Rather, I, all I all all I ever really wanted was mercy. No, what is Chesed? What is it to have Chesed? Do you have do you have chesed for your children, those of you who are parents? 
Do you have chesed for your, your spouse, those you've married? Do you have chesed for one another as brothers and sisters in Messiah? Yes. This, this, you need to understand, chesed is a relational word. When someone says they have mercy, chesed, they, they, are, they are expressing to you a sense of deep and abiding love. Deep and abiding love. It's not just something that could be blown off or uh, a nice friendly thing. Chesed is a deep, deep. That's why it's a, such a great word for us to understand how God has chesed toward us. It is a deep and abiding love. It is responsive to our needs. Chesed is a response to needs. That's why when you give charity, it's called righteousness, when you give charity, alms to someone, another word for that, oftentimes in Hebrew, it's, it's, it's flip-flop, righteousness and mercy go together. Chesed and tzaddik go together. Because righteousness... Getting alms is both of those. You can use either word for that. Because you're responding to a need. You see somebody without something and you provide for it. Why? Because you're moved in such a way. You identify with them. Right? That's what it is. You're identifying with their need and you're providing for their need. That's chesed. How did our God, the Almighty King of the Universe, identify with our need? Was he well? Did he become sick? Yes. It's not just a physician that came to heal. He took on the infirmity, did he not? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's exactly right. What we're getting is this picture that Yeshua, speaking in this way, is, is, is saying to these Pharisees that you would obviously, on the surface level, where you would expect someone to go, where people have a need, right? I'm not coming to you because you don't have a need. You already know everything you need to know about God, right? And what is he also saying on another level? Maybe you don't know as much as you think you do. Chesed. You need chesed. You need, you need to understand a relationship with the Almighty is the real goal. That's really what we all need is this relationship. And that's what the whole point of this parable in Hosea is. A people who don't know they have a need and even when they think they... even when they figure out they need something, they go to man instead of God. God's got everything that they need. And if they will depend upon Him, He will heal them. Why? Because He has He has chesed for our forefathers. He remembers their chesed for Him. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He will not forsake His people. Why? Because He remembers. He, we forget, He remembers. He remembers always. That's why anybody that says, you know, Israel's been cast off, because of their sin immediately we would have to say then why have you not been cast off because of your sin are you better than they if you're Gentile are you better than Jewish people that you, that you think that you can get away with sin but Israel couldn't by the way what sins were, were they, that they that they didn't get away with idolatry is America idolatrous is England idolatrous I mean come on how do we think we can get away with it that Israel couldn't? No, I'm sorry. The reason why he has chesed for Israel is not, is not because he simply overlooks sin, but because he made a promise that he would deal with their sin. That's why. This is a hope for us. Everyone who wants to redeem, Jew, Gentile, you know, black, white, every shade in between, what we have a hope for is that because he recognizes that he promised already that he will fulfill it. Not because somehow we're better. We're not better. 
In fact, I would say that in many regards we're not as good as those who were not being faithful. Uh, Rick, this particular passage is something I've never really understood about the sick and the well. And, and I find that Yeshua was really being um, not sarcastic, but ironic. He's very ironic. Actually, his that, irony is all the way through this book. That indeed mm-hmm. they were sinners and lacked recognition That's right. of it. That's right. And they came for all. He came for them as well as absolutely, absolutely. Absolutely. No, I agree completely. We always have to be careful that we don't lump Pharisees together. The the book seems to. Don't misunderstand. The gospel seemed to lump Pharisees together, but understand that's because it's speaking from uh, inside the family. How do we talk about ourselves? We're much harder on our on ourselves than than we would speaking of somebody that was not a part of us. The gospels are written from it from a from a first perspective. This is my family, but we criticize our family. We want to prove each other, right? So understand that all Pharisees are not like this. All scribes are not like this. How do I know this? Because we have very godly Pharisees throughout these books. And they don't go, by the way, I'm no longer a Pharisee. Paul says, I am a Pharisee. I am a Pharisee. I will always be a Pharisee. I have never spoken against the customs of our fathers. So we need to recognize that when we use the word Pharisee, we're not talking about a category of people that are always against God or always against Yeshua because the Pharisees saved Yeshua's life. We're on talking about... These people. These people. This, this situation. This. And I didn't take, take that from you. I just I wanted to clarify to make sure we're not picking on a group here. Um, let's move on. Talmudin and wineskins. Uh, wineskins. Disciples and wineskins. And I love this because uh, uh, in... in uh, anybody have a Ryrie Study Bible? Uh, I think it's the Ryrie Study Bible. Maybe I shouldn't say because I don't want to impugn someone. But it's common. And I, Matthew Henry, same thing. Okay, wineskin. Here's the parable. Chapter 9, verse 14. It's a parable. He, he, he wants to give us a real-life example so we can draw something from it. And the disciples of John came to him and said, Why do we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? And Yeshua said to them, Can the friends of the bridegroom mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away, and then they will fast. No one puts a peace. Ah, here's what happens. People start reading in verse 16 and 17 and they forget the question listen no one puts a piece of an unshrunk cloth in an old garment for the patch pulls away in the garment and the tear is made worse nor do they put new wine into old wineskins well, love, I love this this is where this is where uh, um, this is where Saddleback Church comes from right uh, new wine you know new wine well, we want new wine we want old wine we want new wine Right? <laughs> or else the wineskins break and the wine is spilled and the wineskins are ruined but they put new wine into new wineskins and both are preserved okay here's the common analogy study Bibles out there Matthew Henry anybody anybody actually you can pick them up they all say the same thing old wine Judaism new wine Christianity don't want old wine want new wine yeah is that too we're, we're going long <laughs> we don't want old wine we want new wine see I've got something new I have a new message that is absolutely false. It just is. Why? It hasn't answered the question. The question is, why do your disciples not fast? But John's disciples do. That's the question. He gives a parable for the answer. You need to understand the way a teacher, a Torah teacher, teaches. He asks questions. He gives parables. Why? So that you can get the, the point. It's not an analogy. It's not a metaphor. It's not some secret, mysterious, spiritual thing you need to understand. It's a real simple thing. Here's what it is. In fact, it's a very common story. Rabbi says, what do you want to do? You want to, rub on a, you want to write on a smudged piece of paper or a clean piece of paper? If you want something to teach, you want 
a clean piece of paper. What is that saying? Do you want a disciple who's already been taught by everybody else or do you want a disciple that's fresh? Right? Someone doesn't know anything. Why? So that you can make sure that you're not dealing with the old stuff they're dealing with. You can teach them the new stuff or the stuff that not some other rabbi taught them. Right? That's, the, that's his point. That's the only point he has. Well, what does that have to do with... with uh, with your disciples don't fast. That's what he's talking about. The discussion is disciples, not theology. My disciples are different than John's. My disciples are different. They're not John's disciples. They're my disciples. And my disciples, I have a group that I'm teaching. Right? I pick people who were not educated. They, had, they were not some other this rabbi's disciples some other teacher's disciples they're my disciples and I'm the bridegroom and so of course they're not going to be fasting but they will in the future but right now they don't fast and that's the whole point by the way the, the garment same, it's the same correlation right put a new patch and an old garment and here's the way that I, I light it up the double parables are used to find connective parts a single point I want you to really understand this if you get nothing else out of Matthew you need to understand parables are not about teaching theology period they're simple illustrations so that you can get a complex point and understand it. Your job when you read a parable is, what's the one point he's trying to make? He's not building a universe, an alternate universe where everything's supposed to be understood. It doesn't all correlate. He just wants to make a point. It's just a sermon illustration. That's all. It's not complicated. If people would read the parables like that, <laughs> what a remarkable difference it would make. Because whole theologies are built on parables. The parable of the ten virgins. I mean, really, eschatology is all about the future. Well, maybe it isn't. <laughs> right? Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. So, the garment or the wineskins are disciples. That's disciples. The patch and the wine, the two parables, it's teaching or an approach to Scripture. He is teaching what? He's teaching an extremely literal approach to Scripture. He is teaching a literal approach to Scripture. God said it, that settles it. What matters? The heart matters because that's what comes out. That's what he's saying. That's what his theology, that's what his teaching of Scripture and understanding of Scripture would be. The old garment, old wise kids, are those who are previously steeped in tradition. That's why he picked uneducated men. They didn't have any baggage, theological baggage to carry with them. Some of them actually were a little bit educated. Paul, we see, is very well educated. He had some theological baggage, didn't he? Took him a while to get it, didn't he? How do you get knocked down on the ground to figure it out? Here we are, And I've got to touch on one thing and then we're going to finish. This woman who reaches up in chapter 9, verse 20, she reaches up and she, she grabs the hem of his garment. What's the hem of his garment? This garment is an overall garment. Today we wear it as a elite, but in that time it was just the overgarment. And what was the purpose for this garment? It had one purpose. It had four corners. From Numbers chapter 15, those four corners must carry the fringes, right? The seat seat. The zitzit. She reaches up and touches his zitzit. This is not uncommon, actually. This is very common. And if you read extant text, the, the, the zitzit of the righteous have healing power. And the way that they got that is straight out of, of Malachi chapter 4. He has healings in his wings. Kanoff by the four corners. The purpose is the zitzit. So she reaches up knowing. What is she saying when she reaches out? He's righteous. If I could touch this righteous man's zitzit. What does Zitzit remind us of? His obedience. The purpose for Zitzit, chapter, uh, Numbers chapter 15, the purpose is to remind us of the commandments of God. A man that will wear Zitzit and purposefully disobey God's commandments 
should be very, very fearful. A man who wears tzitzit is saying something as well. He's saying, he's not speaking of himself. He's not saying, by the way, I keep the commandments of God. <laughs> because it's used in the plural. When you see the tzitzit, you will remember the commandments. What he's saying is, he's saying to those around him, we all need to obey God. That's what the point, the point of it is, is we must obey God. We must obey God. All right. Well, we ran out of time, as usual. Uh, we, have, uh, we have additional things here. The girl who was dead and was raised from the dead, this is remarkable. He goes in, he touches. Not only does he go in, he goes into the house. Tradition said even going into the house made him tummy. Okay? Uh, the two men, uh, two blind men and the demonized mute, the importance there is he, you, if a man can't speak, if a man can't speak, that means the demon cannot identify itself because Pharisaic exorcism, exorcism required to know the name in order to cast out a demon. You had to know the name. You find that today. People think you have to know the name in order to cast out a demon. So in this regard, that's the point. If you can't speak, how can you know the name? How do you cast out a demon of a mute man? That's why everybody's in awe. How does this work? (laughs) Of course, they immediately think that there must be some collusion. You must be on the demon's side. Of course, Yeshua says, how is that possible? Cast them out. Anyway, let's close in prayer. Our Father, we do thank you that you do bring healing we recognize that we are sick. Some of us are sick physically. Some of us are sick spiritually. Father, we know that sometimes our spiritual sickness is manifested in physical ways. We ask that you give us discernment. But most of all, we ask that you give us a relationship with you. That we might experience your chesed, your mercy, your compassion for us. That you desire to heal us. That you desire a relationship with us. Give us healing spiritually. Give us healing physically. We thank you that Yeshua, our Master, Messiah, the Son of God, came and represented perfectly your chesed. We pray in Yeshua's name. Amen.